Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hey friends, today we're going to chat a bit about the food compass, which is the new tool, or so it's being called, to essentially rate the healthiness of lots of different food items. It was developed by a team at Tufts, and from from my understanding, it's been endorsed by the whole university. It was recently brought to my attention by Diana Rogers, who's a Massachusetts Massachusetts-based registered dietitian. Uh, Her business is called Sustainable Dish. You can check out her work. We actually had another episode planned for this week, but because I wanted to address this in a timely manner, because it's a new thing, um, I spent some time this weekend organizing my thoughts around all of this so I could record it in time for a Tuesday release date. We actually um, just kind of pushed everything off a week. Uh, it's really important to me that you have this uh, information or kind of this hot take in case you're seeing more about the compass, the food compass. Um, it is always my intention with this show to deliver you information so then you can run stuff through your own filter and make your own decision about things. It's never my intention to be like the final say or the final voice or to tell you what to do with your food choices or your body. It's just to say, hey, here's some considerations. Here's some information as I see it. And then you get to make your own decisions forever and always. So with that said, there's not going to be any robust show notes. Uh, normally, Lauren, who is my assistant and operations manager here at Aaron Holt Health, does the show notes for every episode. It's a pretty timely process. So um, I didn't want to, you know, kind of muck up her Monday morning. I'm recording at 8 a.m. on Monday. By the way, we also have construction going on right underneath my feet. So if there's clangs and bangs, that's what's up. Um, But I didn't want to make my last minute decision her problem. That's kind of a motto that I have is your emergency is not my emergency. And it sounds a little harsh, but when you really tuck into it, you see that it's it's a boundary thing where I cannot treat every single person that I interface with, with, which is thousands of people in my business, by the way. I cannot treat everybody's emergency as though it's my own emergency because then I would be in crisis survival mode pretty much all day, every day. And this is a, a, a something I floated out to um, the women who are currently in your hormone revival. There's a question that I asked is, how often do you take somebody else's problem and treat it as though it's your emergency, your problem to fix and do it right now. And one woman wrote back like all the time, totally. It is a boundary thing. So that's really important to me in my business that I am not um, doing that to other people because I certainly don't expect other people to treat me that way. So my last minute decision does not need to be Lauren's Monday morning crisis. So she might get around to the show notes, but uh, today is not going to be the day that I'm going to have her do that. And uh, by the way, if you need some boundary help, we took our boundaries workshop that I taught this summer. We got such incredible feedback from that workshop that I spliced it and we diced it. And it is now going to live on my website for purchase as a little mini course. I shouldn't say little. It's three hours of content plus some things. So um, you could head to erinholthealth.com forward slash boundaries. That should be available for purchase um, in the next couple of days. So if you're somebody who needs help with this kind of stuff, check it out. 
All right, before we get into Food Compass, this nutrient profiling system, I do want to shout out our show sponsors. They make this show possible. You know, it's awesome. We want to support them. It's really important in this day and age where we're just like hungrily consuming content to pause for a minute and think about the people that make it possible to produce the content that we're consuming. Like Air Bear, your girl Air Bear was working on this Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. So you can have this in your ear hole on a Tuesday morning. I got you. But show sponsors are where it's at. So we want to shout out Organifi. They make some awesome powders. A lot of you use them and love them. I have been really vibing with their pumpkin spice, you know, tis the season. Um, you know, that's the basic B in me coming out. So pumpkin spice, it's this, it's their gold powder, which is like a turmeric based golden milk, but they add lots of yummy things. I have been making this smoothie. I have to tell you about it. I can't stop, won't stop. So I use, uh, what do I use? Sweet potato. I chop up sweet potato and I, um, I make it ahead of time. So I kind of like batch cook sweet potato. I just chop it up, put it in my Instant Pot and steam it. Literally takes three minutes to steam it when I chop it up. And then I keep that, I don't even peel it or anything. I just keep all of that in a um, glass container. And then in the morning, I grab some, throw it into my blender. I also add baby spinach. I add frozen cauliflower. So it's chock full of veggies. I add sun butter. And then I put in some protein powder. Organifi makes a great protein powder too. I add a scoop of the pumpkin spice gold powder. I add a little bit of sea salt and some non-dairy milk. So coconut milk, almond milk, whatever. Blend that up. That has been my absolute... I also add a little bit of extra cinnamon. That has been my go-to smoothie. I look forward to it every morning. So check it out. Try it. You can head to... Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash funk. Use the code funk. It'll save you 20% off anything you buy. And then also BioCult. They're my probiotic of choice. It's a really broad spectrum probiotic, meaning it has lots of different strains. That's typically what I recommend as like a daily probiotic. Um, really good price point for so you get it's a good value for the product. It's a good price point. It's like around thirty bucks. Uh, the boosted is my favorite, just because it's more potent than their regular. So you can check them out, BioCult, and of course our discount codes, which you can find in the show notes. I'll make sure to get those in in there for you. Uh, does save you some monies. And if you like this show, we've got some new listeners. Welcome. Thanks for being here. If you're if you're vibing with this show, if you derive um, if you walk away feeling like this show has helped you, I ask that you pay it forward by sharing it. So you can share it with a friend, with a family member who you think might benefit from this information. The best way to share it on a, on a bigger scale is to leave a written review. So leave a five-star and written review in iTunes, and that helps to get this podcast into the hands of more people. I super appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I just want to keep showing up, providing you with good, solid content. So let's rock and roll. The Food Compass is a nutrient profiling system using expanded characteristics for assessing healthfulness of food. I am going to link to this 132-page document for you. That's the title that I just read, okay? I'm going to make sure that there's plenty of links in the show notes. They're not going to you know, be as robust as, as normal, but they're going to have all the relevant links to the things that I mentioned, and that is one of them. So if you want a deeper dive on this food compass, that is the full 132-page document. That's what I spent my weekend doing. Oh, woo! So the Friedman School of Nutrition, Science, and Policy at Tufts has developed this new tool, this food compass, to help consumers food companies, restaurants, and cafeterias choose and produce healthier foods and officials to make public nutrition policy. So it's the public policy for me. That's what makes me be like, ugh. Because if we're basing public policy on something, then it really should be on point, right? It really should be legit. And in my estimation, along with many of my colleagues, it's kind of not. 
So that's the purpose of this show is to punch some holes in this and say, hey, it's actually not the be all end all. Now, the potential uses of food compass are, are, are wide and deep, which is really why it's making me get a little bit anxious. Uh, because it's not just somebody saying, like writing a blog post, being like, these are the healthy foods. It's really designed. They spent three years developing this, and it's really designed to for like a broader use. So here are the p- potential uses of Food Compass, and this is right, right out of uh, the horse's mouth. Encouraging the food industry to develop healthier foods and reformulate the ingredients in popular processed foods and snacks. Providing food purchasing incentives for employees through worksite wellness, healthcare, and nutrition assistance programs. Supplying the science for local and national policies, such as package labeling, taxation, warning labels, and restrictions on marketing to children. Enabling restaurants and school, business, and hospital cafeterias to present healthier food options, informing agricultural trade policy, and guiding institutional and individual investors on environmental, social, and corporate governance investment decisions. That's a mouthful. So the point is they are trying to use this or the, the, the goal, the intention behind this tool is to inform all of that. So like I said... If it's going to inform all of that, which is a lot, then it better be on point. It really better be super awesome, like tight nutrition information. So let's get into that. First, we need to discuss how are these scores created because it gives everything a score from zero to 100. Every food on the list has a score from zero to 100. So what's the basis for these scores, right? That's the very first question that you have to ask. What is the basis for these scores? So according to Tufts, this is scored across nine health relevant domains. So they're looking at nine domains, nutrient ratios, vitamins, minerals, food ingredients, additives, processing, specific lipids, so that's fats, fiber and protein, and phytochemicals. So on first glance, I'm like, okay, this sounds legit. You know, I like the fact that they're talking about food processing. I like the fact that they're looking at additives. I like the fact that they're talking about phytochemicals in vitamins and minerals and those micronutrients that are so important. I like the fact that they're looking at food ingredients. Like this all sounds good to me. But then, <laughs> then we get into the disqualifying nutrient levels. So these are the, the, the things that will make a food being disqualified from making a claim. So basically being disqualified from having a high score, a healthy score. So the disqualifying nutrient levels are levels of total fat, saturated fat, cholesterol, or sodium. So what that tells me is that we are still villainizing fat. We're still villainizing saturated fat, cholesterol, and salt. And I just want to like pull a Sutton here and yell out, let the mouse go. Like, stop it. We're done. I thought we wrapped this up. I thought we moved on from this, but I guess not. We're still living in like the roaring 80s and 90s where it was totally fine to eat trans fat, where it was totally fine to eat. I was making a joke on Instagram and so many of you remember this. Remember fat-free Lay's and fat-free Doritos, fat-free chips? They were made with Olestra or Olean. It was a fat that like you didn't, it was a man-made fat that you didn't absorb, but it just like went right through you. So like it made you like poop your pants. <laughs> it like gave you loose bowels, the rumbly dumps. So people are around like running around with like butt squirts, but they're like, but they're fat-free. So they're like totally healthy, myself included. I'm like raising my hand as I said that totally healthy as like, that was my parameter. That was my benchmark for health was like, is it fat free? Great. I can eat it. So it sounds like we're, we're having a hard time letting that mouse go. We need Sutton to come in and lay down the law. So I'm going to stick a pin in that for a second so we can continue to move on to some other qualities that they're looking for. Um, they are looking at sugar and fiber level levels, which makes me happy. I recently discussed why it's so important to reduce and remove refined sugars. So I'm definitely glad to see that that's coming into their, their 
you know, into their qualification system. And uh, fibers are super important. I've talked about that so many times on the show. If uh, if you want a little deeper dive on why fiber matters, go to episode 78, How to Eat for True Gut Health. I talk about the importance of getting a wide variety of fibers in your diet to support your microbiome. But fiber also buffers against blood sugar spikes. So one of the issues with eating, consuming a lot of refined sugar and a lot of refined carbohydrates is that we put our, our blood sugar on a roller coaster. So we get a big spike, we, we get a big insulin hit, insulin grabs the blood sugar or grabs the sugar out of the blood and then blood sugar plummets. And then we can have reactive hypoglycemia, which makes you feel kind of crabby, kind of hangry, kind of irritable. It's a disaster for anxiety. It's a disaster for mental health. It's a disaster for thyroid function. It's a disaster for hormone function. You get the picture. And this is why over a third of the population has metabolic syndrome. It's because we've been eating foods that really do not support blood sugar regulation insulin signaling, metabolic health. And so um, one of the things to counteract that is to eat foods that have plenty of fiber. Uh, Protein and fat also do this. They also help to buffer against those blood sugar spikes. That's why you might hear the advice, no naked carbs, right? So it's like, don't eat a piece of bread solo, but eat a piece of bread with like maybe some avocado and some egg on top because that fat and that protein, and maybe you're choosing like a whole grain bread for the fiber, all that together is going to mitigate any blood sugar spike that you might get from the carbohydrate that you're eating. Okay. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, so I wanted to see what they had to say about sugar and fiber and their qualification. All grain based products must be a good source of dietary fiber, which is 10% or more daily value and contain seven grams or less total sugars per serving. If the product is a good source of dietary fiber or nine grams of less total sugars per serving. If the product is an excellent source of dietary fiber, which is 20% or more of the daily value. So they're at least acknowledging that, Hey, fiber matters when it comes to, uh, when it comes to sugar. So if you're going to add a bunch of refined sugars, then we need that, that dietary fiber to kind of buffer the effect of it at least that's that's being acknowledged. So I appreciate that. They also say that natural sugars from fruit, pieces of fruit, so like whole fruit, do not count towards sugar's um, allowance, which is kind of congruent with the advice that I give. Natural fruit sugar is not the same as added refined sugar. So cool. Then for grain-based snack bars. So this would be like, you know, your granola bars or you know, like, I don't know, cereal bars. The product must be a good source of dietary fiber, 10% or more, and contain eight grams or less of added sugar per serving. So anyway, I appreciate the fact that they're bringing fiber into the conversation, but that still feels like a pretty high threshold to me for added sugar, right? If we're, if we're really getting down into the nitty gritty, if we're really do like taking a comprehensive look at food in our food system and the foods that we're consuming and giving everything a score, that sounds like a high threshold of sugar. So again, I respect and, and appreciate that they're being mindful of sugar and fibers, but I, I feel like this is kind of high. The tricky part about it, if you've been listening to the, the episodes of my most recent episodes, is that it's really hard hard to find packaged processed food without a lot of refined sugar. So this would require to like lower the threshold of acceptable amounts of refined sugar. We would have to drastically change the, like the, the entire food manufacturing process. It's no easy feat. Anyway, let's talk about some foods that they deem as really good. Cheerios. Is going to take the cake here. Cheerios scores a near perfect score of 95. So remember the cutoff is a hundred. So 95 is a very, very good score. Cheerios actually scores even higher than raw beets. So did you know that? <laughs> did you know that Cheerios was healthier for you than beets? I didn't. I learned something. Um, 
if you can't hear the sarcasm in my voice, it's, it's dripping. What I'm saying is dripping with sarcasm. Once you add cooking fat to any veggie, so veggies do have a high score, thank goodness. But once you add cooking fat to it, like let's say butter, forget it. The score drops down the list, all the way down the list. So, or not all the way down the list, but the score drops lower. So again, we're still villainizing fat. We're saying Cheerios is totally fine because they're lower in fat, but don't you dare cook your veggies in fat. Even though that fat helps us to absorb some of the nutrients, helps us to metabolize some of the nutrients in, in those veggies, don't do it. Crazy. Um, so Cheerios scores higher than oatmeal, higher than buckwheat groats, higher than millet, which are whole grains in their natural form, which is weird to me because Cheerios is not a whole grain. I know that 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 messaging has been shoved down your throat, that Cheerios is a whole grain. Let's give it to all of our babies. Yay, it's a whole grain. Cheerios is not a whole grain. It's made with whole grain. It's made with whole grain oats, but it is not a whole grain. So let's look at the ingredients of Cheerios, of their near-perfect Cheerios, near-perfect score. Whole grain oats is the very first ingredient. So that's pretty pretty decent, right? Cornstarch is the second ingredient. Okay. Sugar is the third ingredient. Okay. Salt, tripotassium phosphate, vitamin E is added, and that is to preserve freshness. So it's like the the fact that this scores higher than like whole oats to me is bizarre because there's more additives here. The vitamins and the minerals in um, Cheerios, many of them are synthetically added in. So we have calcium carbonate, iron, and zinc. Sodium uh, ascorbate, which is vitamin C, uh, lots of B vitamins, but those are added after the fact. Those are, you know, B vitamins, folic acid. These things are added after the fact. They're synthetically added in. Vitamin D3, you know, added in. Oats don't have vitamin D3. It's not a good source of vitamin D3. So they're adding them back in. So I, I think what's happening is that this compass score is based off of vitamins and minerals that are added to processed food. So it's not saying like, oh, this food inherently has all these vitamins and minerals, but but the fact that they're added back in, which is a little bit wacky to me. It's like a little bit wacky. Um, so let's take a look at the the nutrition facts for this near-perfect food Cheerios. The total fat is 2.5 grams so it's nice and low in fat, so they love it. Total carbohydrates is 29 grams, so it's a higher carbohydrate food. It does have four grams of fiber per serving, and it has five grams of protein per serving, so that's pretty decent. But think about how you typically consume Cheerios. It's with milk, right? And they're recommending low-fat skim milk. So we're really just kind of getting quite a bit of carbohydrate, but not really a huge amount of fiber and a huge amount of protein or fat to buffer against that blood sugar spike. So to me, I I very, one of my recommendations for breakfast is to not consume cereal for this exact reason. So it's just interesting how uh, different they, they are viewing things. So to compare and contrast, I just kind of randomly selected some foods from the list to drive home my point here. So Cheerios is a 95, right? Near perfect score. Another near-perfect score is chocolate almond milk, 95. I was like, that's kind of weird. Compare that with fresh coconut meat, which is 50. So chocolate almond milk is almost twice as healthy. Chocolate almond milk, I mean, have you ever read the ingredient list on almond milk? It's just basically a bunch of filler. It's basically a bunch of filler. Um, It's made with very little almonds. It's primarily water and then like some gums to make it feel thick in your mouth, have some mouthfeel. It's a lot of added nutrients back in. Um, So compare that to fresh coconut meat, which is a whole food from the ground, has plenty of healthy fats for you. That's a 50. Lots of fiber. Lots of uh, medium triglyceride, uh, medium chain triglyceride fat, 50. Five zero. It's like, that's weird. Hard boiled egg is a 51. So Cheerios and chocolate almond milk are twice, according to this scoring system, are twice as healthy as a hard boiled egg. 
Now compare that to an egg substitute, which is 65. So an egg substitute scores higher than a whole egg. Huh. Huh. <laughs> That's a head scratcher. Let's look at chicken thigh, right? I love, I love me some chicken thigh. Chicken thigh with no skin is 49. Once you add the skin, the score drops even lower. So we're really not advocating for eating top to tail, eating for a sustainable way. It's like we, we produce all this chicken, but we got to take off the skin because we can't eat the fat. So it's a very unsustainable way to consume animals. Um, and I also totally disagree with that, right? It's not advocating for that sustainable nose to tail or top to tail uh, consumption of animal products. So there's already some weird discrepancies here where I'm like, what is going on? And then Lucky Charms scores a 60. Lucky Charms. Yeah. Lucky Charms with all of its additives and all of its food dyes scores a 60 according to this system. Lucky Charms would be considered healthier than fresh coconut, than eggs or chicken thighs. Let's take a a little closer look at what makes up Lucky Charms. So we have whole grain oats. (laughs) Oh, we got that whole grain goodness that everybody loves. Whole grain oats. Second ingredient is sugar. Third ingredient, cornstarch. Fourth ingredient, modified cornstarch. Fifth ingredient, corn syrup. Then from there, we have dextrose. So just lots of different types of sugar packed in there. Interesting. We also have red 40, yellow 5 and 6, blue 1, natural and artificial flavors. So I, 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 don't, I didn't grab the episode number, but on one of the episodes, I did talk about the problems with food dyes and how food dyes really change the immune system's reactivity to food. I have like a hard rule. Nobody in my house eats anything with food dye. Hard and fast rule. That stuff is toxic. It really, truly is because it binds up the proteins and it makes our immune system not really be able to understand them. So with the, one of the questions that we get all the time in my field is, why do so many people have food sensitivities and food allergies all of a sudden? Why do so many kids have food allergies? It's because we've changed the food that we're eating so dramatically that our immune system does not understand it and it hyper-responds, it hyper-reacts. Okay, so check out the the some of the more recent episodes about why that is, if you want to understand that process a little bit more. And then Lucky Charms does have a bunch of vitamins and minerals added in, calcium carbonate, vitamin C, iron and zinc. Uh, it's the same, it's the same exact list. If it's the vitamins and minerals list of Lucky Charms is the same exact thing we saw on uh, Cheerios because they're added back in, right? They're synthetically added back in. These are not just like part and parcel with Lucky Charms. It's like, oh, wow, look at this vitamins and minerals that Lucky Charms provide. No, those are added back in during the processing, you know, during manufacturing. Uh, their total carbohydrate is 30 grams with only two grams of fiber, 12 grams of added sugar. This is per serving, 12 grams of added sugar and three grams of protein. And yet Tufts University is trying to tell us that this is healthier. This is a healthier breakfast for us and our children than eggs. This can you, this is what's making my blood boil. I'm like, come on. This is a hard no. What is going on? This sounds a little suspicious. And then if we look at just like plain meat, pork tenderloin scores a 21 and ground beef scores a 26. Ground beef, 26. I I mean, does this sound suspicious to anybody else? Cheerios is a 95. Lucky Charms is a 60. Ground beef, whole food source of protein is a 26. Uh, what? In my opinion, one of the biggest flaws, one of the biggest problems with this new system is its villainization of meat. Okay. They don't like meat. They don't want it. They don't need it. They're like, it's bad for you. Don't do it based on their scoring system. Now, a team led by, I I, I don't, at the risk of sounding like, like a conspiracy theorist, we do need to kind of unpack all the information, but a team led by Tufts professor, had, uh, the, the guy is named David Kaplan. He's a distinguished professor at Tufts, and he's chair of the Department of Biomedical Engineering. So him and his team of graduate students are running, running the project, and they received a five-year, 
$10 million grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture to develop an alternate food source, which is meat, lab-grown cellular meat. That's their language, not mine. Lab-grown cellular meat. It's meat produced not from farm animals, but from cells grown in bioreactors. I'm not using like hyper-inflammatory language. I'm literally pulling this out of the Tufts press release, which I will link to here, okay? I know it sounds like I'm trying to use this like very, you know, like kind of scary language, futuristic language, but I'm not. This is literally verbatim from the article. Meat produced not from farm animals, but from cells grown in bioreactors. So anyway, Kaplan says that part of our research will look at improving the nutritional content, shelf life, and other qualities of cell-based meat, along with assessments of impact on consumer perceptions and acceptance. Okay, so at the risk of sounding like a total cynic, one way, one way to improve consumer perception and acceptance of lab-grown meat is to tell them how unhealthy real meat is, right? If we can force feed people to believe that real meat is wicked unhealthy, then they're going to be more apt to purchase, dollar dollar bills, y'all, to purchase this lab-grown meat. When something sounds suspicious, when something leaves you scratching your head, there's probably a reason people say follow the money. I don't know. I, I don't have enough information to, to make, to like draw these kind of conclusions, but I'm just presenting some information, right? That's not what I'm here to tuck into today, but I just think it's kind of, kind of funky, kind of funky. And this is all, this is all information that can be found with, with a Google search. And I'll throw these articles your way. Like I'm not trying to create a problem where there's not a problem. I'm just saying this doesn't make sense. How can I make it make sense in my brain? Now, one thing that I want to spotlight, particularly because mental health and anxiety has, has ramped up so much, is a newly published meta-analysis. And now, a meta-analysis is a st- statistical analysis that combines the results of multiple scientific studies. So it takes the results from lots of different studies that look at the same thing, and then it combines them together to say, what is the, you know, what's the general consensus from all these different studies? So there's one that I want you to check out. I'll link to it here. Meat and mental health. This is brand new, October. Meat and mental health, a meta-analysis of meat consumption, depression, and anxiety. So I'm going to read you part of this. In this meta-analysis, we examined the quantitative relationship between meat consumption or avoidance, depression, and anxiety. In June 2020, we searched five online databases for primary studies examining differences in depression and anxiety between meat abstainers and meat consumers that offered a clear distinction between these two groups. 20 studies met the selection criteria. So all the people in the study... It was 171,802 participants. So the pretty decent-sized group, right? Meat consumption, based on these groups, meat consumption was associated with lower depression and lower anxiety compared to meat abstention, so abstaining from meat. Meat consumption, I'll say it again for the cheap seats in the back, was associated with lower depression and lower anxiety. Compared to vegans, meat consumers experienced both lower depression and anxiety. This analysis also showed that the more rigorous the study, the more positive and consistent the relationship between meat consumption and better mental health. And you might be like, wait, what? I will, I'm going to echo this. This corroborates with what I see in my private practice. Now, obviously, my private practice is on a much smaller scale than all of these studies combined. I don't see, you know, 200,000 people in my practice every year, but, um, but it does corroborate with what I see. So I'm going to give you a real world client example in just a second. But if you're somebody who struggles with anxiety, especially just kind of like low-grade anxiety, uh, I definitely want you to pay attention to this. I definitely want you to listen to this. Uh, Just like if your anxiety has been bubbling up with all the chaos in the world, 
Uh, one of my tools in my tool bag, as somebody who has struggled on and off with anxiety, I used to get debilitating panic attacks in my early 20s. Um, so one of my tools uh, to keep anxiety at bay or to use to keep in my back pocket when my anxiety starts to mount is Coyote River Hemp Co. CBD. Um, I have found it to be, I've been using it for about three three years now, maybe more, maybe upwards of four years now. Uh, they are a local to me company. They're a sponsor of the show because I love what they're doing. I really support their work and I love their product. It's the number one CBD product that I, the only one that I use and the number one that I use, I recommend clinically. So you can check them out. You can save 10% off their products, coyoteriverhempco.com. Uh, I would suggest starting with the 500 milligram. There's lots of different tinctures, but uh, start with this 500 milligram. When you're u- utilizing this, you always want to start low and kind of slowly build your dose up. But I, I do want to shout that out, shout them out. I love them. I love what they're doing. And um, I think it can be such a great tool, like I said, uh, to keep in your tool bag if you do struggle with anxiety. But let's talk about this particular client. She came to me. Uh, she she first purchased a micronutrient panel through my website before we even started working together. And once we started working together one-on-one, she had told me that she was a vegetarian for a while leading up to this. And things were just kind of falling apart. Uh, she hit a period of stress and she was experiencing a lot of fatigue, hair loss, um, hormonal imbalance, GI issues, so digestive issues, but a lot of anxiety. She had a hit, had a history of OCD-like tendencies and just a tremendous amount of anxiety. Now, when we looked at her micronutrient panel, this is a blood test that looks at your different nutrients. She was low in vitamin D3. She was low in vitamin K2, so the, her fat-soluble vitamins were low. She was low in iron. Now, these are all pretty consistent, by the way, with somebody who does not eat meat. Uh, She was low in iron. She was also low in other minerals, manganese and chromium she was low in. Her choline was on the low side, and her amino acids were low. Where do we get amino acids? We get amino acids from protein. So we did multiple interventions here, but the biggest one was for her to start eating animal protein. She came to me. I'm never forcing anybody to, to add animal protein to their diet, especially if they have a, you know, if this is a choice that they're making for ethical, moral reasons, I'm always going to work with somebody, but I'm always going to present the information like, Hey, your current diet actually isn't working for you because you have all of these deficiencies. These are really significant deficiencies and they are most likely contributing to the, the symptoms that you're experiencing. So she was really open to eating protein. She had been craving it. Um, and man, I just have to shout her out because she has made in the past six months, such huge, significant leaps and bounds and strides in her physical health, in her mental health. Her friends have been commenting to her like, you are glowing. You look so good. You know, what are you doing? People are noticing it, right? So that that's one example, of course, but that's really consistent with a lot of the things that I see when somebody comes to me on a vegan diet, on a vegetarian diet. And before you get pissed off listening to me talk about this, understand that I was a vegetarian for 20 years for 20 years. And I was a vegan through a lot of that. And I, towards the end, I started to get really, really sick. I went through a pregnancy as a vegetarian and I came out on the other side, not in good shape. I'll tell you that much. Um, And it was, honestly, it was a couple of different things. It was my health. It was the fact that I could not get satiated on a vegetarian diet anymore. I just kept eating so many grains. I just had to keep eating and eating. I I could not fuel myself. I felt underfed, undernourished. Um, So that was the reason that I started to tiptoe my way into eating meat. And I've talked about that on different podcast episodes before. Let's talk about that, that, that mental health connection though, because that's a, that's a big one. I do have to apologize if you can hear um, the the banging in the background. Like I said, they're like replacing our floors. It's kind of a big project. So if you hear that, I'm sorry, but I really don't have any other way to get this information to you unless I record right here, right now. So bear with me. So there is, despite what we've been told, you know, like beef, especially red meat has been so villainized. Actually, that client that I was just talking to was like, she's like, I really crave red meat. I love beef. Hello. She was low in iron, right? Um, I really crave beef, but I know that it's not good for me. So I've been eating more chicken. And I was like, okay, so let's reprogram that programming because in my estimation, as a nutritionist who's been in the field for 11 years, um, red meat 
is actually more nutritious than chicken. Oh, whoa, whoa. Did I just make your head feel kind of spinny? Here's the nutrition in beef. Obviously, it's high in protein, right? And has all the essential amino acids, which can be hard to come by. It's high in B12. It's high in highly absorbable heme iron. There's different types of iron. The iron in plants is not the same as the iron in animals in terms of how our body absorbs it. So that's one of the reasons that iron is one of the biggest deficiencies that we see in vegetarians. Um, it's nutrition in beef. It has EPA. It has DHA. Especially the, the grass-fed beef tends to be a little bit higher in those omega-3 fats. Uh, but beef has vitamin D, it has vitamin K2, it has those fat soluble vitamins because it's higher in fat, right? When we villainize fat, we also, when we remove fat from our diet, we're also taking out these really important fat soluble vitamins. We need fat to access the fat soluble vitamins. You can't just say saturated fat is going to kill you dead. So never eat saturated fat again. And then we lose access to those fat soluble vitamins. And then they're synthetically added back into our fuels, our food source. That's so bonkers, Betty. That's so bonkers, Betty. None of those nutrients that I just mentioned are found in plant foods, by the way. And then we have more, uh, more nutrients in beef. We have plenty of B vitamins. We have choline. Remember that client was low in choline. Uh, it offers zinc. It offers selenium. It also offers potassium. It offers lots of minerals. Um, Meg, Megan Garcia, she's been on the show a couple of times before. She really specializes in um, child baby feeding, and she refers to uh, meat as meaty minerals. I don't know why that sticks out of my head, but it does. Meat has minerals, and we need minerals. And then, of course, it also has cholesterol. Um, episode 136 of the podcast, it's entitled Cholesterol, Friend or Foe, Everything You Wanted to Know. Um, I really get into why cholesterol is not something to fear, but one of the, the reasons that we need cholesterol is for brain health. Cholesterol is a brain antioxidant. It protects brain cells from oxidative stress, from free radical damage. We have in our entire body, our brain is like what, like 2% of our total weight, but it, it, it makes up 20 to 25% of cholesterol in our body is in the brain. With high cholesterol, we can see improvement of memory with like higher levels of cholesterol. Low cholesterol is, is bad news bears when it comes to your brain health. Cholesterol helps to support neurological health. It prevents against neurodegenerative diseases. When we see low cholesterol, we see higher rates of dementia, higher rates of cognitive decline. Um, in that episode, we also talked about why cholesterol is crucial for hormone health. That in and of itself can be supportive of mood. Cholesterol is the primary hormone building block. All of our steroid hormones are utilize cholesterol as the ultimate hormone precursor. When I see somebody with low cholesterol, I'm like, shit, we got to look at their hormones because they might not have enough raw materials to build out their hormones. Everything starts with cholesterol. It goes on to then build out pregnenolone, which is the master hormone. It's the, the mother of all hormones. So we know that our hormone health really impacts our mood. So if we don't have enough building blocks, if we have low cholesterol, we don't have enough building blocks to build out our hormones. If we have low estrogen, we see low levels of estrogen linked to depression, fatigue, brain fog, memory loss. We see low progesterone linked up with anxiety, depression, and trouble sleeping. Low testosterone, same deal, depression, anxiety, hard time concentrating, lack of motivation. Low thyroid health, we can see depression. If if there's thyroid imbalance, anxiety is one of the, the biggest um, symptoms of, of thyroid imbalance. Low DHEA, that's an adrenal hormone. We also need cholesterol for that, right? If we have low DHEA, that's linked with depression, fatigue, mental you know, fogginess, brain fog. So the point is we need cholesterol. The more that we villainize meat and the more that we villainize fat, the less we're going to get access to cholesterol in our diet and our bodies really need cholesterol. I just touched upon minerals. Remember that client was low in a lot of her minerals. That was one of the biggest areas of intervention is just getting her minerals up there so she could feel better. So you stopped like dumping out hair all the time. Even her, her um, hairdresser was like, whoa, your hair has changed. 
Yeah, yeah, because she was fueling herself. It's incredible what can happen with the body when you give it its, its you know, its fundamental building blocks, its, its raw materials. Um, the issue, we're all kind of collectively low in minerals, and the issue has a lot to do with the fact that we're eating a very highly processed diet, highly refined foods, like your lucky charms, the minerals are stripped away, right? Minerals are stripped away during food processing. We are a nation of overfed but undernourished people. Overfed because for the most part, people are getting access to plenty of calories, but they're just not getting the micronutrients and the minerals that are needed to, dr- to drive all the cellular processes in the body. Like I said, over a third of the U.S. population has metabolic syndrome. Um, and that's based on older stats. So honestly, it might even be higher. Metabolic syndrome is a direct effect. We've talked about it recently on the show, so I'm not going to unpack it here. It's a direct effect of diet and lifestyle. Processed foods lack minerals. And on top of that, they actually require minerals in order to liberate their calories. So we, we don't just eat food and get energy. We eat food and then we have to run it through systems like the Krebs cycle, like uh, mitochondrial oxidative phosphorylation. Like there's, there's lots of different things happening in the body that we don't see, that we don't even think about. All of those require vitamins and minerals to run the entire show. That's why vitamins and minerals are so important. So we're eating plenty of food, plenty of calorie-rich food, but we're lacking the micronutrients and the minerals in order to take that food and turn it into actual ATP, into actual energy, into the actual fuel that the cells need to drive everything forward. When we have an increased mineral demand, which is what's happening because those minerals are getting shunted towards antioxidant and enzymes to handle all the oxidative stress in the body, they're not being used for essential purposes. So this creates a problem. We're also mineral depleted, not just because we're eating a lot of processed food, but because our actual food that we are consuming contains less minerals due to soil erosion, poor farming practices, and also the use of pesticides, herbicides, and insect insecticides. There's a book, if you're interested in this stuff, I highly recommend grabbing the book, The Mineral Fix. I'll link to it. Um, There's this very cool chart that plots out mineral depletion over time in wheat. They just use one crop wheat. We see that levels of copper, zinc, and magnesium have totally plummeted. So at one point, yeah, whole grains might have been a really great source of um, of these minerals, but now much less so. So it makes sense that we are, especially for consuming a lot, um, a lot of these foods, it makes sense that we're missing out on minerals. And minerals are important for our mental health, really important for our mental health. To make serotonin, we need magnesium, calcium, iron, copper, cobalt, zinc. Iron, like I said earlier, is one of the biggest deficiencies we see in vegetarians. And iron deficiency is associated with anxiety and with depression. Low magnesium, magnesium, unsung hero, my dudes. Everybody's low in magnesium. Everybody should be taking magnesium for the most part. Low magnesium is associated with depression. It can be associated with anxiety. So it makes good sense that if we abstain from consuming meat, and we're missing out on these really important, important brain-supportive, mental health-supportive uh, nutrients that we might see higher levels of depression and anxiety. So that's something to consider. And that's just one thing that I chose to spotlight. This conversation could go on and on and on and on, but I have to, I have to get on with my work week here. So I just... The point of this is because I, I want to, I, I, I really question the predominating narrative in nutrition that meat is bad for you. I really question that because I'm seeing a lot of evidence to the contrary, um, not just myself in my own body uh, over the past decade, uh, not just in my clients, but we have like meta-analysis to, to give us like more bigger picture information too. 
So take home message here, I guess, is, is that we've been fed a lot of whack nutrition advice over the years. You know, poop your pants chips, right? Think about, never forget, poop your pants chips. It's like when I think of like Ferris Bueller, but it's, you know, nutrition advice moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. It's a whirlwind. So no wonder why people are so confused and so overwhelmed about what to eat. And I don't think a scoring system, even with the best intentions, I don't think a scoring system like this helps to provide more clarity. I think it just like muddies the water even more. And I'm not saying it's easy to create a, a scoring system for food, you know, certainly not. There's so many different factors and moving parts, but I think the, the way to keep it simple and streamlined in our own brain to reduce the overwhelm is boiling it down to the basics, which is this food in its whole form, generally speaking, is good for you. And any advice that says otherwise should be considered a red flag, right? Whole food fats are going to be better for you than man-made fats. Whole food sugars, better than man-made sweeteners. Whole food proteins, better than man-made proteins. Salt's not going to kill you. Right? We, the more we can come back to eating foods in its whole natural forms, the more we can avoid processed foods, the better off our health is going to be. Okay, so that's it. That's my hot take. Again, I, there's so many different ways to go with this conversation. This is I just wanted to kind of anchor into a few talking points that I found to be really important. Um, if you do want to dig in a little bit deeper into the whole eating meat conversation, the plant-based uh, diet conversation, episode 130, uh, Plant-Based Diets, Eating Meat and Sustainable Diets, um, I would also recommend checking out episode 132, how much protein do we really need? And then again, episode 136 is the episode where I talk about cholesterol and whether or not we've been duped. All right. Don't know if you can hear that, but they're really kicking things up a notch downstairs. So I'm outro and I will see you all next week. Hope this was helpful. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.